Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Uh, now here we are at the beginning of 2019 and it would appear to the untutored eye that we are in full throttle with the Project Fear Mark III, seems to me, when it comes to Brexit. And so today on our programme, I'm going to be talking to two Brexit campaigners from very different areas. I'm very pleased that they're with me today. We have Lucy Harris, Hello. who's from, uh, originally uh, was the founder of Leavers for London, yeah. now Leavers of Britain. And we have Tom Bowhills, who is one of the founders of the Alliance of British Entrepreneurs. Welcome to you both. Um, yes. Before we actually talk about uh, WTO rules and no deal and what it have you, uh, did you see the drama with uh, Comerback, you know, the uncivil war Brexit? Yeah, I saw that. No, it was... Um it was surprising. I thought it was going to be a big moon fest, but it wasn't. It was quite, I thought, fairly in the middle. Um, I was quite surprised with what actually came out of it. You mean that it was quite, it was, you felt it was quite balanced? Yeah, I felt it was quite balanced, actually. I, I think, obviously, they exaggerated quite a lot of the characters. I mean, Boris Johnson wasn't played very well, in my opinion. Right. I think, you know, they exaggerated. Too thin, too thin. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I think, no, you know, I think it was too, uh, too, um, you know, too was the bumbling. I mean, I know people like to make out as if he is a bit bumbling, but you know he's a smart man. I think they they discounted a lot of his intelligence there, and also with Nigel Farage and Aaron Banks, I think that was that was obviously overplayed. But you know it was good. It was a good laugh. It was a good laugh on that side. And you managed to avoid it, I understand, Tom? Did you? Not avoid it. I'm just saving it for a rainy day. Right. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I saw it on Twitter. Yeah, I was going to say who, who won at the end. Uh, yeah. No. So I, I mean, I I looked at it on Twitter and expecting, like Lucy said, to see that, you know, the FBP mob yeah. were going crazy and actually they were going crazy for all the right reasons, which is that it was broadly unpleasant to both sides, uh, which I think most political campaigns have, have an element of in, in each in each side. So yeah, I'm, I'm saving it for a rainy day. Definitely. Right, okay. Well, I mean, I, what I found interesting most, I don't know whether you know, but actually the audience was something like 1.3, tiny. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, considering it has so much hype, I don't quite know what that says, but I think it sort of says, you know, when you... People are tired of Brexit, that's just... When you know. think, when you actually think of the amount of hype it had, I think here you've got a media and political class very obsessed, obviously, with the machinations of the campaigns. And of course, for them, it's very, very important. Um, but I think maybe for the viewers, for them it's all about issues, isn't it, really? Yeah, I guess it's kind of moved on from what happened three yeah. years ago. People just want to get on with it. And you keep hearing that again and again and again. We just want to get on with it. Yeah. I think it's something in Westminster where we beat each other up about who, yeah. who did more in the campaign or what happened in the campaign, what was told in the campaign. You know, as far as the general public are concerned, they all have their own brains. They all understand what happened. They all understood at the time of the vote what they were voting for. Now they want to see it actually come mm. into existence. Yeah, and yeah. that's the conversation now. It's not about what happened three years ago. It's about what's happening now. Because really, your constituency, if you like, Tom, is, is, very, is, is very particular, isn't it? It is small businessmen, is that right? Yeah, it's small and medium-sized businesses. That was always the, the target. I mean, one of the things we looked at was was why there was this split in the business community yeah. between what you would deem to be the kind of very established multinational interests and then the kind of disruptive challenger companies underneath. Yeah. And there's a very interesting split between the two of them in terms of their views on Brexit. And we're targeting that, that challenger class, those entrepreneurs who see Brexit as an amazing opportunity to shake up the established order. 
In fact, the very title with entrepreneurs in it, yes. you know, it, I think must be deliberate because, you know, it's all about the entrepreneurial spirit, isn't it? It's not the CBI as yeah. such. And, and interestingly, back, coming back to Lucy's point about the, the challenges of Brexit going forward, I think we've got, I think the biggest enemy that we've found actually is apathy. Um, I think all, you've sort of got a 10% of very hardcore continuity remain. You've got your 10, or I'd like to think 20% of very hardcore leave. Yeah. And then in the middle, which possibly explains the viewing figures, you've got a large group of people who just think it's done, get on mm, with it, mm, and deliver. Mm, mm, I see. Your constituency, if you like, the people that you are, are as it were, campaigning with and the people you're yeah. talking to is broader, isn't that right, Lucy? I mean, yeah, it's, it's extremely broad. I mean, in, in terms of age. what actually are you doing? Yeah, can you sort of <laughs> tell us what actually is you, are you uh, doing with, with so Leavers of Britain? Leavers of Britain is basically a runoff from Leavers of London, and it was trying to grab the attention of those people who voted Leave but who felt that they couldn't talk about it in social circumstances. So I'm sure everybody here, I mean, has got one of those situations where they've gone to a, a dinner party or a party and, you know, Brexit comes up. Of course it's going to. It's in the media eye constantly. Mm. So it's going to come up. And as soon as you say that you're a Brexiteer, you get ostracised from the conversation. Oh, you so, know, this is yeah. something have you found this, Tom? Absolutely. I found it socially. Because you're young, you're in London, you know. Uh, it's what I mean is, you know, yeah. this is like remain essential, isn't it? Yeah. All younger people are meant to be sort of somehow remains, whatever. Well, I so think it's, it's been a feeling for such a long time. I, I think especially on the right side of things, yeah. but also it's sort of, you know, on the Brexit side of things. Uh, I felt very much for a very long period of my life that I couldn't talk about my opinions, that I was some sort of, uh, you know, outcast, as it were. And I think a lot of people feel like that. And what I discovered from Brexit is that there are a lot more people out there that have the way that we think, you know, that, that they are, you know, slightly anti-establishment. They are um, anti-big uh, super state. They, they are, you know, slightly more conservative and they feel out of place in a world that continuously promotes this out-of-touch left-wing values. And I, I want it to be known to the general public that if you are from uh, a background such as mine, you know, I am slightly middle class, you know, I come from a middle class Shock. background. Shock. <laughs> you know, but you know, I'm from a state school, I'm just an average person, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, really, yeah. that your views can be taken uh, as, as the majority view, we we now are the majority of opinion. Uh, don't feel an, don't feel that you're an outcast because you have slightly conservative views. Actually, yeah. a lot of people think like you. Tom, did you actually start your organisation because of the referendum? I mean, did, or was it something that uh, existed? No, actually, no. It was afterwards. Yeah. Um, I admit to being hugely naive about the referendum. I, I genuinely believe politicians would deliver on it. I mean, it was such a huge democratic exercise. Yeah that I took people's word for it. I mean, even Chuck Romano coming out and saying, you know, I respect this, no second referendum. Yeah. <clears throat> so I actually didn't start this with my colleague Ed until I think August of 2018. Mm -hmm. And it was really in response to what we were seeing from government level down, which was an orchestrated business-led attack on no deal or Brexit itself. Yeah. And we thought, this is not our experience. And we've got to be able to get out that voice of businesses who, who are for a kind of buccaneering, global, free-trading Brexit. And that's where it all began. It was a, it was a response to checkers, actually. I mean, 
Right. Well, I mean, Lucy just said there about some of the response she's had, you know, in terms of the views. What is your, you know, you're a lawyer, aren't you? Yes. You know, you've got this organisation. You're campaigning for a, a Brexit, a proper Brexit. What kind of experience have you had in terms of hostility? Do you have much? Oh, huge amounts. It's, <clears throat> I, think, I think one of the interesting things is for all the EU's manifest faults, and there are plenty, one of the things it has done very, very well is weaponised this. Oh, yes. And has weaponised yeah. the idea of Europe and the EU being the same thing. So instead of being able to put across the fact that people don't like this kind of <clears throat> democratically deficient institution, people equate it as an attack on Europe itself. Yeah. And therefore that, that arouses quite you know, deep feelings mm. of upset and you know, national, national pride amongst our European friends. Mm. So I've experienced it personally, professionally, Certainly online. I mean, that's, mm, that's mm. always the... It's a given. Yeah, that, yeah, is, that, yeah. that is a given. Yeah. Get um. some wonderful emails. We've got some great fans. <laughs> but when it comes... I mean, you've both obviously done mainstream media to a greater or lesser degree. Um, how do you feel they treat you as young Brexiteers? I think they always think I'm going to be a massive headbanger with right. no sort of intellect whatsoever so you know when they get me on they're expecting me to go a bit ballistic and then yeah. when I'm kind of poised and calm they're like oh shit <laughs> I mean there was a great uh, uh, there was a great um, interview I did with Gavin Esler and he uh, he likened me to uh, Mugabe uh, Farage, Trump, and I'm just sitting there going like, what? Like, come yeah, on, are you yeah, serious? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's this constant trying to associate you with something a lot more extreme than you actually are, when really you're actually quite a calm individual, you're poised, you know what you're talking about, and you want to, you know, give it in the nice possible way, and you have this very, uh, you're confronted with a very sort of uh, uh, aggressive and very forthright um, adversary on the other side, and it I think they get quite taken aback just how calm, yeah. you know, I am actually. So, yeah, it's quite, it's very, very strange to go on TV and, and have that. Have you had that sort of similar sort of thing, do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, mean, I won't go into individual stories, but I mean, one of the things, a, a sense I often get is one of people feeling a bit betrayed. As in, they look at me and they think, they take, they look at me and they think, okay, yeah. probably privately educated, you should be one of us. I don't get it. Why aren't you a Remainer? Yeah. Why are you siding with all those, yeah, yeah. you know, those idiots up north? Yeah. And there's a real sense of you've let the side down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that's something that's come through time and time again, actually, and I think that shows a lot about what's what's wrong and what's broken in this country. You know, you've got your organisation, you've got yours. Yeah. But I think what will strike many people, like the public, or whatever, is that there seem to be a lot of disparate groups, don't there, mm. fighting for Brexit. I mean, you know, I know that maybe it's something that you want to change. How do we actually change this? Because there are so many different well, campaigns. We should come together, shouldn't we? I mean, I've always seen it as a strength of the Brexiteers. You know, we are independent thinking people. That's why we voted to leave the EU. We want to be you know, on our own. We want to sort of get our point across. We're independently minded. Um, so I think it's actually our strength that we have so many different constituencies yeah. that promote their specific things. Because if you put all of the eggs in the same basket, it's easier to taint all of the eggs in one basket. If we're all dispersed and we all have our, uh, our the one thing that we're campaigning for, I actually think it's a strength because it tailors it to what those people actually want. So yeah. if I was to join up um, with Tom here, you know, it would 
you know, it would then move the whole operation into a different world, less tailored to, uh, you know, people who feel the way that I do about social situations and probably less, you know, geared towards um, Towards, sort of business uh, issues. So I think it's great that we have different constituencies that are concentrated on these things. Mm. I mean, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we've now got what seems to me to be, you know, getting to the absurd level with Project Fear. I I feel that's my my feeling, you know, Mark III. Um, It is quite extraordinary. Um, But I wonder, before we actually look at it in more detail, I mean, what... How, in your experience, like in, with your business uh, uh, friends and your mm-hmm. colleagues in your yep. organisation, and indeed in the people that you meet, what is their reaction to these stories that they hear in the press? You know, Easter is cancelled, <laughs> yes. planes won't take off. Super gonorrhea. Super gonorrhea, right, <laughs> okay. Right. I thought that was a place, actually, but anyway. Uh, what, is, what is the reaction? Do they, what is the reaction? Do you think the penny has well and truly dropped about Project, project Fear? Do you, what do you say? I, I, think, I think this is actually, <clears throat> I think we've entered quite a dangerous part mm. of British democratic history here, because I think we've got a situation where a lot of institutions that people had quite natural and intrinsic trust in like the Bank of England and actually like the parliamentary machine as a whole regardless of its faults have been totally and utterly thwarted and undermined Mm. by several rounds of this Mm. and it's not even an attempt to be apolitical or balanced I mean when you start picking into some of these allegations you realise they're actually quite quite rigged. They're deliberately rigged. Yeah, Mm. it's extremely worrying to see how much our institutions have become so engulfed in a one idea, one one world view. I think it's incredibly worrying. It it shows how how partisan they actually are. And it means that we can't get to the truth of things. We need to have balances in institutions and also in universities to get to the truth of things. And it just doesn't exist anymore. That's why Brexit came about. It's because people have lost faith in institutions and people that they should be trusting, such as politicians. But you can't trust politicians and you can't trust institutions anymore. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with no leadership and it doesn't lead us into any vision for the future. It is worrying. I think, I mean... I've I found that my faith in Britain and my love of country, if you like, uh, exists increasingly in my head, you know, because, no, no, it's an idea that I, you know, I have, because the institutions now, as you say, have so, behaved so appallingly, that in fact I've lost all, all faith in them, actually. Mm-hmm. But there was always a residual faith that they would do right by the people, but I think we're in a, as you say, we're in a dangerous time now, aren't we? I, I, I totally agree. It's almost a, a paternalistic way of viewing the public, and I, I think that's partly why they, they have this self-grandeur and um, self-righteousness that they can tell the general public not only how to behave, but what to think. And I think that's incredibly dangerous, like you said. It is, it's got to a stage where the public have to actually take back control from this, and they have to be able to say what they think and have it taken seriously by people who are in positions of trust mm. and, and high positions in institutions. And how, how they do that, I, I'm not sure how they're going to go about it, but I would love to be able to support anything that, that is planning to do that. I mean, when you talk to colleagues and friends, people you're trying, if, if, as it were, to either convince or indeed reassure or whatever, they use terms that they've heard on television or in the paper like 
crashing out, okay. things like sure. this, or cataclysmic. I mean, or for example, you know, uh, like at City Hall, I'm a, a member of City Hall, uh, we are increasingly talking about civil disturbance and this kind of thing. Yep. It's, it's ratcheting up. How do you put people's minds at rest? How, how do you do it? If, if someone starts talking about well, if we crash out or whatever, what, what would you say to them as campaigners? Well, I think dismissing their fear straight off delegitimizes your position straight away. So I think you have to acknowledge their base fear right. and kind of rationalize it from that aspect. If you go in and just dismiss it straight away, they're not going to, they, they probably don't want to have that discussion and think that you're incredibly partisan. So I think it's addressing the fear and going through each of the issues that they have and then again giving them a positive alternative. Mm. That's how I'd go about it. Spot on. I think, yeah, that, uh, absolutely spot on. Um, I think the, the key is not to be binary. Don't be on Twitter, you're, you're not one camp or the other. If someone has a fear that they express to you based yeah. on a cliff edge or what we would describe as sort of a WTO exit, you say to them, okay, that's, that's totally fair enough and we understand that. And you know what? Maybe there will be some minor disturbances, but here's why. The system is set up, particularly with the WTO and GATT and other organisations, to ensure that trade continues to move. And the trade we're talking about is small, it's limited, and actually you probably won't notice a very big difference to your life. And the price of that disruption is true control, which is what people voted for. I was thought on this basis of WTO, I mean, look, we're using these terms, World Trade Organization, GATT, whatever. And, but there will be people watching this, I hope, who are not immediately familiar with all of those terms. I mean, we throw them around or whatever. And I think this is where it is very important now, particularly at this stage, where we actually are very clear, surely, about what this actually means, what a no-deal thing is. Because to my mind, that is actually what people thought they were voting for. They weren't voting on right. on a deal. Would you agree with that? I, I, th I think it's absolutely right. I mean, no, it, it can get too, again, it can get too binary here about leave remain. The whole point was it was an instruction to Parliament to leave the institutions of the yeah. European Union. Part of that includes even the single market and the customs union, which then means we are, we will revert back to being a fully independent member of the WTO. Yeah. And the WTO, the World Trade Organization, is a body that was set up with British help actually um, to form a framework for global trade. So when people talk about cliff edge or crashing out, it's, it's completely incorrect because the WTO was designed for situations like this, to stop trade from seizing up, from, from being choked by countries acting maliciously. Yeah. So when we come out of the EU, it's not suddenly the case that all the rules and regulations drop away, people can't sell to each other. It's a case that we drop back into the safety net of the WTO, which actually prevents the EU from being malicious mm. in going slow at Calais, for example, which we now know isn't going to happen, yeah. or erecting non-tariff barriers. And it gives us a brilliant position to start from as an independent country and build upon. Mm as a third country, which is what the EU wants and needs. Yes. So basically, this is something that particularly your, you know, entrepreneurs, smaller business, whatever, this is a message that they must definitely try and de disseminate, isn't it? Because, I mean, essentially, people aren't that clear. They're, they are open at the moment to being frightened, I think. This is the problem, yeah. don't you think? I mean, the, you go and see people in their living rooms, as it were, don't you? I'm sorry, that sounds terrible. That sounds but really, you, really <laughs> But you, you actually go, don't you, to a very local level. Yeah, yeah. And you talk to 
all sorts of different people. Absolutely. And um, you know, basically, presumably, this must come up a lot to you. I mean, when well, people yeah. come. I mean, um, so what we do is that we do meetups, and they're quite casual, very informal. And we work on a level, uh, city level, but also on a town level. Right. I go along to pub meetups, hear what people have got to say, but really it is a social event. But a lot of the times we, I ask them, you know, I, has Project Fear got to you? Uh, the majority of them say no, but a few people go, actually, yeah, you know, I could be uh, slightly scared of X, Y, Z. Uh, and then if you look into it, you sort of start picking out things that they're scared of and giving them alternative information. and. You know, they, they start coming around to the idea that actually it, it's not such a, a bad idea coming out on WTO terms. Um, you do hear a lot of things uh, around and about of um, this fear mongering and they've got to the stage where they no longer listen to it because they just see it as um, a partisan attempt to scare them into submission mm. when it comes to a, a second referendum. Mm. They want people to be scared so they can funnel them into the idea of a second referendum. Uh, and we have to make sure that funnel goes to a WTO no-deal ter no terms. Because right. that's, for me, I think that's what we voted for in the first place. Yes, and that's exactly. what should be delivered to the British people. And, and Peter, on that, mm. just very quickly, I mean, the, one of the things the Remain campaign have done brilliantly well since the referendum is they looked at how the Leave campaign used language. Mm. So they were Remain. It's sort of a bit yeah, yeah. Brexiteers, yeah. swashbuckling, global, you know. And they, they looked at that and they thought, this is effective. So they developed this language and they're pumping it out, no deal. Well, what does no deal actually mean? No deal means no comprehensive free trade agreement. Mm. It does not mean no deal on medicines. It does not mean people can't still partake in the Eurovision Song Contest or, you know, Erasmus or Horizon. Or, or Strictly whatever. Come Dancing. Strictly yes. Come yeah, Dancing, yeah, yeah, the yeah, European yeah. edition. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and they've done that very well. No deal does not mean completely severing all links, putting up a big wall with machine gun posts on it and saying we're not dealing with yeah, it anymore. Yeah, mm. yeah. Now, I think this is, a, but the point is, as you pointed out earlier, Tom, I, this is an incredibly dangerous thing, isn't it? Because people now do know that they are effectively, and I say being lied to, but they're, they're, people are, they're, trying to, they're trying to funnel people with this message. That means that people now will never trust, really, maybe the media again. What would you say? I think mainstream media has probably had its day. Um, there's still a use for it, obviously, but I think in the future, media is going to be amalgamation of online, YouTube especially, yeah. mixed with the mainstream. Yeah. Uh, I think they're going to lose the jurisdiction of what it means to be official news. And I think, you know, the big the big guys are scared of that. I think the BBC is definitely losing its jurisdiction. Um, and I, I think, yeah, they're going to lose trust, but they're going to find other ways of finding their information. We've got to make sure that we capitalise on that. Can I sort of just mention, you, you were talking a bit about, the, you mentioned that sort of things that might happen, you know, in the sure. case of uh, crashing out, you know, we've got, as we say, planes not taking off, right? Already sorted now. Right, okay. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, we've also got supermarkets, shelves, empty, you mentioned med medicines there. What would you say to people, for example, who hear this thing, oh, there's going to be food shortages, we're going to have to stockpile, what, what is this? One of, one of the beauties of, we didn't use sovereignty much in the campaign because it's a bit of a sort of a floaty word which people can't really put their finger on. We use control. Mm. And the reality is, at the end of March, all going as it does, unless there's a huge betrayal of the British people in Parliament, which increasingly seems likely, 
we will leave the European Union, at which point we will become a fully independent coastal state with our own rules and regulations, full control over our borders and full control over our, our customs territory. So if, for example, there is a shortage of avocados and there are hold-ups at the border, it is our sovereign right to wave that through. Yeah, we exactly. Can do it. Yeah, yeah. This is the yeah. whole point. You know, medicine shortages. European companies are not the EU. Mm. They will still be selling medicines to hospitals. They will have existing contracts in place. The only issue is friction at the border, and that friction at the border is under our control. Yeah. And because if they want to create in. any friction on their side, why would our friends want to do that? Yeah, quite. Why would someone on the other side want to do that? But actually, this is an interesting point. Isn't a lot of this also based on the fact of how appallingly the EU might have behaved? And basically, if they want to show us no goodwill whatsoever, isn't that what it's about as well? The commission, perhaps. Mm. I I think there was a very, very telling interview by the Deputy Mayor of Calais yesterday. Yes, I saw. And this this is the beauty. This is what all of our businesses say to us. They say, this at the moment is a political struggle. It's politicians against politicians. The reality is when the dust settles, whether that be on WTO terms or during the transition, business will find a way. And a very good example of that is if there was a go slow at Calais, which the deputy mayor was furious about suggestions Mm -hmm. of and they put massive investment into it, then we go to Rotterdam or we go to one of the Belgian ports Mm -hmm. because they're vying for our business. They're they're quite looking forward to the idea of this Mm -hmm. port operators Mm -hmm. because that suddenly opens up their private institutions and their private ports to us. Yeah. I know that obviously we're talking economics, but wouldn't you say sort of, you know, we've got to wrap up now, but wouldn't you say really that part of the problem is that over the past, what, two and a half years since we had the referendum, all of the discussion has been on economic lines, hasn't it? To the extent, it's almost like the people who own the debate Essentially, they don't even understand these other issues about sovereignty you mentioned, or about national identity, or about a feeling of pride, or about destiny. They d- they just don't get it. Would you say that that's right? That's certainly my that's view. Absolutely right. Um, I've been I've running Leavers of London for two years and Leavers of Britain well for a few months, and it's not something that comes into discussion. And after Brexit happens, where are we going to be? We're going to have the social issues. We're still going to have this cultural divide. And that needs to be addressed in a good way, not in a bad way. We can't let people who are having the discussion in a negative way take hold of it. Mm. We need to be able to assert ourselves after Brexit. And I like to believe that Leavers of Britain will lead the way in making sure we have a positive approach to what it means to be British. British is in your title too, British entrepreneurs. That's terribly important, Tom. I mean, this spirit, actually, you know, without wishing to be corny, but, you know, it's incredibly important to to basically revive that, isn't it? Or at least let it come through. I mean, I I, I was a historian by trade before I was a lawyer, and uh, that has always been Britain's role in the world. We are a power broker. We sit off Europe, admittedly, but between Asia Pacific and between North America. And that, I think, is what our businesses see. They look at that and they think, we are so beautifully positioned to be this this power broker, this business free trade power, sitting out in our little island as we do, but extending our tendrils left and right. And to your point about control, a lot of businesses, yes, do look at this as an opportunity to trade and and whatever else, but they also say that control is important to them. Mm. They want to know that they can go and speak to their MP and that their MP can make changes to their business environment. Mm -hmm. At the moment, there are layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy 
and they never know how decisions are made. Mm. Well, look, many reasons to be cheerful, I think. Um, you know, we've got to keep our, our you know, optimism Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you very much, Lucy. Who will be coming to a pub or a, 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 a living <laughs> a room, a living room near you soon? And uh, thank you very much, Lucy, for coming. And thank you very much, Tom. And um, see you next week. Thank you. Bye bye.